Podcasts are an independent way for podcasters like me to bring a local voice to your ears. At the Spent the Rent Podcast, we strive to raise awareness of topics that affect the often underrepresented. Our title sponsor, Oregon Cashflow Pro, offers free money management advice that can help you take control of your finances. At OregonCashflowPro.com, you will find videos to guide you towards your goal of financial freedom. For more info, there will be a link in the show notes. The following podcast is available on all major streaming sites, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and more. You can now listen to all previous episodes, donate to the podcast, and buy shirts directly from the Spent the Rent podcast at our newly designed official website, strpod.com. Welcome to the Spent the Rent Podcast. I am your host, Patty Rose. My guest today is a friend of 25 years or something like that. I don't even know anymore. Uh, Stephanie Atkinson. I knew you as Stephanie McLean, but now you were married. Uh, 25 years ago, we went to Hamlin Middle School together. We were pretty close friends. Uh, I remember all the stupid little middle school dances and choir, choir uh, road trips. That was fun. Uh, currently, you have been working in Washington, D.C. Tell me what you or tell my audience what you do for a living and and what that's like living across the country from Springfield. Sure. Um, I work at the John F. Kennedy Center for the Performing Arts. And I know that sounds a little strange given the current climate that we're in right now because we are not having live performances in the performing arts world. But I work in the marketing department there and I'm very fortunate to still be able to uh, work remotely. So, you know, yeah. How was that affected? I mean, what are you guys doing? Are you doing virtual shows and that kind of thing? Yeah, we've definitely had to navigate new waters that we've we've never navigated before. We're doing a lot of digital. Um, we are doing some very limited, small in-person performances, um, but it changes depending on what the D.C. government restrictions are on uh, the number of people that can be gathered at any given time. So it's it's definitely not been the scale of what we're normally used to. We usually do thousands of performances a year, and I think so far we've done maybe as many as you can count on two hands in person. Right. So yeah, I know relying on digital, you know, and then all of the local establishments, I sometimes think about the wow hall, you know, like how is a place like the wow yeah. hall? Because, you know, you lived in, in Springfield your whole life. Is that correct? You were born in Springfield yeah. and, yeah. and then moved to DC uh, with your husband or whatnot. And so, yeah, you know, I, it's funny. I, the way that this show works is a lot of times my Facebook page comes to life. And you and I, since we've been friends forever, we've kind of grown our separate ways and lived our lives, but we've always been friends on social media on all the different MySpace, Facebook, all that stuff. Oh, yeah. And so, <laughs> so my, as I'm scrolling, I see people's, you know, lives and what they've been up to. Even if we don't talk a lot, we share that. And that's the beauty of social media mm -hmm. when it's, when it's done right. But one of the tough things is that sometimes, you know, you'll have to go public with some of the most terrible news. So today, while we're here is we're going to talk about. Uh, your COVID situation. I, I called this episode COVID in Springfield because I want it to be eye popping so that people would understand that this is happening in our neighborhood, you know, mm -hmm. and, and the reality and what it looks like in the face of it. So thank you so much for doing this. It's awesome to catch up with you. Um, even considering the circumstances, even though it's difficult. So December 6, you, you were in DC and you, you were working remotely from home and I'm sure you were hibernating in your little bunker and you get this phone call. And what was that like? 
Uh, well, the phone call was actually from my mom and she said, your dad's not feeling well and I can't get him to go to a doctor. Can you please call him because he'll listen to you? So I actually had to call my dad and see how he was doing. And he, my dad's never, he was never one to complain about anything. He's, you know, he's just the way he was, but he actually said, I'm not feeling great. And I said, dad, I think you probably should go to the hospital. So mom took him to the hospital and uh, they diagnosed him with pneumonia and gave him a COVID test, but um, they gave him antibiotics and discharged him and sent him home. <clears throat> and then the next day uh, his COVID test came back positive and uh, he thought for sure it was just a, a false negative. He was, you know, both of my parents were just kind of in denial about it. Um, <clears throat> yeah, everyone. And then go ahead. I was just going to say, and then he just, uh, you know, I, we thought he was doing okay for, you know, a day or two at home. And then it just yeah. went downhill from there. It's interesting to me to think that after a full year, at least, you know, or about a year that it was still kind of treated like, yeah, that probably isn't what it is, especially since he was complaining about having lung issues, like breathing issues and that kind of stuff. Yeah. Correct? Yeah. 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 So, I mean, I'm not here to talk about that end of it. Obviously, you know, I know that the rapid tests are very inaccurate. And from what I've heard, especially from the college kids, but yeah. So, so he was released from the hospital and then readmitted the next day. And that's when uh, he was tested positive. He originally went on a Sunday. He was readmitted on Wednesday because he could not, he couldn't breathe on Wednesday morning. So all this time, your mom, you know, taking care of him. And then your mom ends up getting obviously testing positive as well because they were together and all that. Right. What, what was that like? I mean, you're sitting here in DC and then you have two brothers. Is that correct? Are two you... brothers who both are still in Springfield. Yeah. So they're around, but, but what was that, you know, what was that picture like? Um, I mean, immediately it was like the three of us just immediately got on group text and we were just communicating about everything. But once dad got admitted, mom was doing all of his check-ins with all the nurses at the hospital. And then a few days later, she started having symptoms um, and she went and got a test that Saturday and her test came back positive the next day. And it was that day that her test came back positive, that her symptoms started becoming severe um, so that was the point where I started taking over calling the hospital to, to do all of the check-ins on my dad and get all the vitals and just updates in general. And I basically became his, um, I basically became his power of attorney to make all of his medical decisions at that point. Um, and while simultaneously trying to take care of mom through FaceTime, because no one yeah. could go in the house with her. Yeah. And um, yeah, I mean, I, that's the whole thing with this, too, is like, you know, you can't really go visit someone in the hospital because obvi for obvious reasons. So your mom has improved her situation. We're going to talk about your dad in a minute, but it, but she's still I mean, one thing that people don't understand, this took place December 6th. You know, her diagnosis was within that, you know, three, four day period. Mm -hmm. She's still you, you know, you post you're very public on your Facebook page about kind of the updates and what's going on with your situation, which I think is great because I've seen the impacts that it's had. You know, I've seen, mm -hmm. I'm not going to name names, but I've seen people that we've grown up with say like, you know what, I'm sorry. I originally thought that this was being overblown, you know, and, and that's kind of why I wanted to, to have you on and talk about this today is because I think that what you've done has made a huge impact. And I know that when you're dealing with trauma and loss, that's the best thing you can do is help people. So, so anyway, so your mom's situation improved, but she has had like 
she's still in the woods. Is that correct? I mean, she's still, I mean, that's not the right expression, but she's been battling this since the time that that, right. you know, you I, said that her yeah. symptoms got bad and it's like, she's still like not the same. And it's two and a half months later. Yeah. I mean, my brother, it got to the point where I had to call my brother and I said, you need to call the ambulance to come to the house to come and get mom. And he came over here to unlock the door so they wouldn't have to break down the door. It actually, they actually were not even able to come into the house. They tried to not come into a COVID house. So mom had to actually try to walk to the door so they could get her into the ambulance to take her to the hospital. She spent 17 days in the hospital. Um, her and dad were both in ICU at the same time. So Christ- Christmas time. We, Christmas was not, there was no Christmas this year. Yeah. It's, it's just, I, can't even, I can't even imagine. It's, it's just an empty spot in the year for me at this point. Um, yeah. So they were both there at the same time. Um, Mom was discharged the first week of January um, and she remains on oxygen. We have an oxygen machine in the house um, and we have tanks just in case, you know, anytime we have to take her to a doctor's appointment or, um, you know, anywhere just to get her out of the house for a little bit. But she will remain on oxygen for at least four and a half more weeks. She does have a specialist and, you know, they just don't know the long term effects that this is having on people. I don't know what problems she will continue to have after this she was a very active person before this very active and and healthy both of my parents did not have like diagnosed pre-existing conditions other than my mom being a cancer survivor um she's she's nine years cancer free so that's great um but yeah she remains on oxygen and she is she hates it she's tethered to a machine so let's talk about your mom and what kind of person your mom is so your mom is (laughs) is this is why I wanted to do this show is because not only is this something that I want to hear kind of your personal story, but also just the impacts that your mom has had and your, your whole family has had on the city of Springfield. So tell me what your mom has done as her career and and what kind of person she is. Well, mom's worked for over 20 years for the Springfield school district. So um, even when I was in high school, she was working at my high school and it was like, you know, some people were like, oh, your mom works at your high school. How's that going for you? But it was, I mean, it was awesome. It was she, rad. yeah, she, um, I mean, she was always supporting the choir program and the theater program. And I mean, I would go from school all day to rehearsal at night and she was just always there. She was, she was a stage mom to so many too. So, I mean, all the theater, theater and choir kids will, will talk about her in that way. And then, you know, she, Obviously, I I graduated, went to college. She stayed there. She has lasting relationships with students. Um, she's worked with um, special education students for many, many years now at this point. And she works in a community transition program now, teaching kids life skills and everything. But she's, um, you know, when she's not doing that, she's volunteering to, to work at a football game or sell tickets at a theater performance. Or, you know, she's just someone who's she's just always there she's just always had a presence and she's always taking care of people and um that's just who she is she always puts others before herself um yeah which is good and bad so totally so yeah i mean and and i'm really passionate about the special education you know a good friend of mine nels has been on the show he's going to be back on the show talking more and more about uh just the impacts that this whole situation has had on special needs students and and going back to school and that kind of conversation yeah which is a difficult time, you know, just, there's so mm-hmm. much, there's so much impact. I mean, uh, you know, I don't, I, I want to get into it at some point about kind of the inconveniences of COVID because it's so widespread, but I think people need to put in into their minds that there's, there's one thing, if you're going to talk about the inconveniences and you don't talk about the loss of life, 
<laughs> then I think that you haven't really been inconvenienced because right. Uh, unfortunately, you know, you talk, as you talk about your mom in the present tense, your father was not so lucky. His, his fight with it was, was heavy. And, you know, tell me about the medical stuff, because it sounds to me like the healthcare workers were incredible in this because he was not only did he get sick and was hospitalized ICU in Springfield, Eugene, he was life flighted to OHSU. So tell me a little bit about that. Yeah. I mean, I was, calling the hospital to check in on him every probably six hours. And I know that not much changes in that period of time, but I was speaking with nurses. I was speaking with doctors. Um, one of the first conversations that I had with a nurse in the early days was a nurse who said, please, please just tell people how serious this is. Please just continue to tell people how serious this is. Tell people to stay home. We've just seen this devastate people and um, they're tired. They don't have enough resources. That's very clear. Um, still, I mean, we're very much still in the middle of a pandemic. I know that this is this was a couple of months ago at this point, but um, you know, I, and uh, speaking to a pulmonologist, um, you know, he was just talking about the potential treatments as the journey goes on. You know, they were talking about a lot of what ifs. Like, here is how the disease progresses that they know of at this point, and so he was sort of telling me about certain treatments that they would go through. Um, fortunately, I had the luxury of also having a very close friend um, in Philadelphia who's a respiratory therapist. And so he was actually able to give me just very not sugar-coated information on what, what I should expect and what happens to the person's body when they do certain things like ventilators and um other treatments. So I sort of had that heads up before I was speaking with dad's pulmonologist. And it did get to the point where the pulmonologist said, you know, one of the treatments that we call a, uh, they call it a salvage therapy. That's the kind way of, of saying it, but it really means a last ditch effort to save someone's life. And one of the things that they were considering for dad was a treatment called ECMO. Um, uh, Google it. I don't want to screw yeah, up the name, no, but it's, uh, it's a, Surprisingly enough, this has came up on the podcast. I had a friend that was a burn victim. He was in a car wreck and had yeah. burns all over his body and was on ECMO. I don't know, you know, the details, like you said, Google it, but it's a very serious procedure. So go on. Yeah, it's, um, it's very hard on the body. And uh, so one of the first things that the pulmonologist said was because of your dad's age, I'm not sure that we could even get a place to accept him. Legacy Emanuel in Portland will probably not accept him because he's 65. And I said, well, just because he's 65, I don't, I feel like he should have a fighting chance if you really think that that's something that can save him. Um, so we pushed, we pushed, I pushed for um, convalescent plasma. That was apparently something they hadn't been doing at Mackenzie Willamette yet. Um, but I pushed for it and they got him convalescent plasma from Seattle. They had it flown down and he was given that. And, um, the jury's still out on if that helps people. It's certainly not a hindrance, but it does help some people. So he had that. And then. Now, what is um, that? The what is that? I don't know if I'm aware. Convalescent plasma is plasma that's been given by people who have recovered from COVID. Um, and they give it to patients, you know, in the hopes that it will help them convalesce. Um, that's something that, that can be given later on in the progression of the disease. Normally what they're doing now is if someone's in the early stages of having COVID, they are giving what are called monoclonal antibodies. Um, dad was too far into the disease to, to have those, but they are saying that that is helping some people fight off the virus as well. Um, 
but dad progressed to the point where the pulmonologist thought he needed ECMO. Um, and we weren't even sure if he would survive transport or not, but it was the last ditch effort that we had to try. Um, ECMO is still too rare in the United States. It's only at just under 300 hospitals in the United States. They, um, and there are limited machines and it does take a, a trained team of people to, to use an ECMO machine. And, you know, it's not just like get a machine, it goes to work. It's, there's a team that goes with it. And that's why I think it's a resource that's not in huge supply right now. So right now in the state of Oregon, the city of Portland is the only city that you can receive ECMO treatment at a couple of different hospitals. So he had to be be life lighted up there. All this time you were still in DC, correct? Um, yes, all this time I was still on on the East Coast. Yeah. Now, in the final days or final moments, what was your situation like? How were you were you able to FaceTime? Were you because you weren't able to see him before he passed? Correct. Um, I was actually. So um, the time that I was on the East Coast, um, thankfully, when he when he was at McKinsey, the one of the doctors said we recommend that you get iPads here for your parents because that's a resource they didn't have for patients there. So um, my brother, um, bless his soul, he was, was just running all over town trying to, to do things for mom and dad um, and bring things to the hospital for mom. And he was bringing pictures to the hospital for them and everything. Um, but we got iPads to them at McKenzie and I was able to FaceTime with him at McKenzie. Um, he wasn't able to, to, to say much just because, you know, he had progressed from being on high flow oxygen and eventually um, he asked them to to intubate him because he couldn't breathe. He, he was strong enough to say, um, I just want to breathe. Yeah. So, um, I think that says a lot that he was able to make that decision for himself. And then, um, and then we, um, I had to make the decision the day after Christmas to have him life flighted to Portland. And I didn't have time to call my brothers to, you know, the three of us had been making all the decisions together, but this was a situation where it was like, we need to go now or not at all. And so I just had to say, let's, let's do it. We will do whatever it takes to save dad. So yeah, when he got up to OHSU though, they actually have a system in place to be able to do video calls with family. And it was really great. So we were able to do that with dad, at least one family member once a day was video calling him. And then, um, after approximately 30 days, they do take people out of isolation when they feel like COVID is no longer contagious. So he was taken out of isolation and it was on a Friday. Um, my brother had been actually in the house taking care of my mom still because she had been discharged from the hospital, but it got to the point where he was like, I just need to go up to Portland and be with dad. Someone just needs to be with dad. So my brother went up to Portland and was able to be with him. And then, um, it was, that was a Friday and, by Sunday, he called me and he said, I just think, I think you should probably just get here. Um, he just had, you know, nothing had been definite at that point. We thought, you know, dad and dad even said one time when I was talking to him on a video, I was like, how are you feeling today, dad? And he said, like a yo-yo, you know? So he, uh, he's up and down and up and down. And it's a very, it's a very cruel disease. Um, but what had happened with him specifically is that it, it attacked his lungs and it caused, uh, what's called acute respiratory distress syndrome. Um, and then it, it, you know, it's, it has turned into the oxygen couldn't 
get into his lungs. So that's what ECMO does. ECMO pulls the blood out of the body, reoxygenates it, puts it back in the body. So I, um, talking with my husband, we had to do a lot of talking about this because, you know, we had been in a bubble since March. We live in a very highly populated area. We had been getting our groceries delivered. We weren't leaving the house. We were both working remotely. Um, so we had to make the decision to put me on a plane and I, the only direct flight that I could find was to Seattle, DC to Seattle. So I flew into Seattle and then I rented a car, drove three hours to OHSU, got to Portland. And then my brother said, you need to get to the hospital now. So I, I picked up my mom and, and my brother's fiance at the hotel where they were staying in Portland. And we went immediately to the hospital and um, right now, because of COVID restrictions, they are typically only allowing one visitor in the hospital for ICU, um, unless it is an end of life situation. So they, um, I guess at that point they knew it was end of life. We lost you. I think you're back. Are you back? Yep. You're back. So, so um, yeah. So you were saying, uh, you know, one person in the hospital at a time for visitation. So yeah, yeah. yeah. Did you unless take turns it's or? Uh, dire situation? No, uh, they said it was one person unless it's a dire situation, and it's one person a day. So wow. it's not like you know they're trying to minimize the number of people. So, but we got there and they made an exception for us because they knew it was a dire situation. Right. So, um, and that day, that was the nineteenth of January. That was a Tuesday, and uh, that morning. They tried to wait as long as possible before doing a CT scan on his lungs. Um, and, you know, they had given me all of the information, the precautions, everything about ECMO before we decided to put him on ECMO. And one of the things that they said is ECMO is not a guarantee. ECMO is not a cure. ECMO is a tool. Um, it, it basically sort of acts as an artificial lung so that it gives the lungs a chance to heal. But it's up to the body to heal the lungs. So ECMO ECMO worked on dad. It did. It did its job. It did it well. It kept him alive. It was basically life support. And then they did a CT scan. And by the time I got to the hospital and they put the two CT scans side by side of what his lungs looked like when he first got there and, and what they looked like on that day, um, that was when it was determined that there was too much irreversible damage. And the only thing that could have been done at that point was a double lung transplant. And that's yeah. incredibly rare in the United States as it is, but on a 65 year old man who right. has just been in the hospital for 40 something days fighting this, it just, we had to make the decision as a family to withdraw support. Yeah. And, so, uh, you know, in the situation yeah. of losing a loved one during COVID, one of the things that, that is even is, is added to the challenges is how are you going to do a service? You know, you can't, I mean, in good faith, have a bunch of people get together, your loved ones. So what was that situation like? Um, that was difficult because we had so many people who wanted to be there for us and, you know, said, I'll be there, I'll be there. And we just kept saying, please don't, <laughs> please don't come. I mean, you know, dad, when dad was sick, when he first got sick and he realized he had been around other family members, thank God they were all wearing masks when they were around each other, all the family, because 
you know, they all had to go and get tested and they all came back negative. And one of the things that dad said, because, you know, he was in constant contact with my two brothers and my mom and everyone. And, and he was just like, how's everyone doing? He was so concerned about everyone else. Meanwhile, he's in the hospital, like struggling to breathe. Um, but he was so concerned about everyone else's health and safety um, that he would have been so mad if, if we had had like a, a giant super spreader event as they're calling them. And, and even when I finally made it to his bedside at the hospital, he looked at me and said, you, you flew on an airplane. Mm-hmm. And I said, yeah, dad, but I flew in a spacesuit. I literally looked like a crazy person. I had a KN95, a cloth mask, glasses, gloves. Like I did not take off my mask for the entire six hour flight, which is what the doctors and nurses advised me to do. They gave me lots of good advice. You know, I mean, and I can't even imagine because, you know, here, all of us are dealing with this pandemic, but nobody knows what it's like until they're in the position of having their family, you know, so devastated by it. I can only imagine because I've been fortunate to not have anyone in my immediate circle and nobody in my family that I'm aware of, you know, like his aunts and uncles and stuff that I'm aware of, at least to have not had, you know, any reason for me to know, <laughs> like, that's how I'll put yeah. it, you know, because people might test positive and deal with it differently, you know, but I don't think, I mean, I can't imagine your fear, you know, flying across country when you're like, oh my God, my dad is on his deathbed from, you know, dealing with this virus. And we're not, we're kind of in the bridge between being young and being old, you know, where we're out of life, where we're like, (laughs) yeah, we don't really know. I I don't know how I would deal with it. You know, I worry as a smoker and and that kind of thing. And and thank you so much though, Stephanie, for, for talking about us and and fighting back. You're being really tough. And I, I just want to acknowledge that. I'm going to say that again at the end of this, we're not done, but, but I just wanted to say that right now that I'm impressed with your courage and, I'll, I'll flower or I'll shower you with, with more praises later, but <laughs> so let's talk about what kind of person your father was, you know, your dad came from Canada, which I think made him automatically funnier than the average bear, because if yeah. anybody knows anything about Canada is that they've sent us their best comedians, Jim Carrey. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm just going to leave it at that. That's all you need to say, but <laughs> Michael J. Fox is one of my favorite. There's so many good ones that it's impossible to name them. Yeah. So, so I'm sure it's just ingrained in the culture, but tell me what kind of person your father was. And, you know, dad was, I think most people saw dad as a, the quiet one, but uh, that's what made it great. Cause he always had some zingers. Like his sense of humor was just, it, just like his dad. I mean, my grandfather, I, they just make you laugh until you cry or pee your pants or both at the same time. You just never know what you're going to get. But, uh, yeah, my dad was just, you know, he was funny. He respected everyone that he encountered, no matter where they came from or, you know, what their political view was. Even he was very, very passionate about politics, which we will not get into, but he still managed to have friends who were, you know, all, all different political views. Um, my dad could literally fix anything. I, I don't, I, he just would pick up anything and just fix it. He could just take it apart, figure out how it worked. He would fix it. Um, yeah. I mean, he, he did not go to college. He was not, you know, formally educated in that way. He graduated from high school, but he was still like, he was just the smartest guy I knew. I mean, he knew the history behind everything. Like he would come back to DC on the few, few occasions they were able to actually come back and visit me. I would take him to places like, um, Mount Vernon and Monticello. And I took him to the, the Smithsonian Udvar Hazy Air and Space Museum. And 
we walked in and um, dad was in the Air Force too. So he loved planes and things. So he immediately walked in and pointed up at, at one of the planes and just started being like, oh, that's a such and such plane from this year and flew in this war and blah, blah, blah. And we would walk up to like the sign where all the information was. And it was literally everything that he had just said out loud. And I'm like, you're ridiculous. Yeah. <laughs> like, it's yeah, just, so, he, I mean, your, your father has a very Springfield story. You know, he say he didn't go to yeah. college, but he, he joined the military, you know, served our country mm -hmm. and then worked uh, at Roseboro lumber. Is that correct? Yeah. For over 20 years. Yeah. So very Springfield. And then, and then with your, with your mom by his side for 42 years where she was a teacher mm -hmm. and someone in the community. One thing that I can say about living or being in your house, because in middle school, you and I were best friends for definitely, you know how it is in middle school, you have a def, different best friend for every two months. Yeah. You, you were mine for like four months. So that's an accomplishment. <laughs> and yeah. so we spent a lot of time together and a lot of time in your room talking to playing mash or whatever the hell we did. Oh my God. And, yeah. And, and your house from an outside's perspective was always just very kind, was very welcoming, was very trusting and safe. And that's the, yeah. the testament of your family and your parents that the kindness and the generosity and just openness was something that was paramount. And it's, as I followed your guys' lives from afar over the 25 years that we've been friends, that's the thing that's never changed. I've never heard yeah. of any drama. I've never heard of any, any fighting or any of that kind of stuff. And so the one thing about losing a loved one and losing a, a parent, and I, I'm, I'd imagine that the mother-son relationship and the daughter-father relationship are, have, their, have their similarities in the way that I'm sure that you were probably the, you know, the most amazing thing in the world to him. And so it's our job, after losing my mom, I can say this you know, proudly, it's our job to live their legacy. And so it sounds like your, your father's legacy of kindness, humor, that kind of stuff is going to be pretty challenging to live in today's world, <laughs> you know, but, but uh, I wish you well with that because I think that there's going to be a sense of pride that comes of this. Now watching you use your voice is something that why I wanted to have you on because you've been very vocal with long winded, I guess it's thumbs, but long, long texts on, <laughs> yeah. on Facebook. And, and I think it's, it takes a lot of courage to be very open in the, you know, you've educated yourself on this virus a lot. So Another Springfield story that we were going to mention is your grandfather. Now, this is your your mother's dad. At, yes. one point, he, at one point, he ran for mayor. And recently, you had posted something that he sat on the board for sub for a long time, the Springfield Utility Board. But mm -hmm. there was a ribbon cutting picture. Tell me about that. Yeah, I, you know, it's funny. It was my mom's, my mom's best friend, uh, who she actually became best friends with in middle school here in Springfield when they were going to school. My mom's best friend texted the other day and said, recognize anyone in this photo? And it's a photo from the 1970s of a, the ribbon cutting ceremony to dedicate City Hall in Springfield. And I looked at it and I was like, that's my grandpa. What the heck? So, um, yeah, it's pretty and, and it was this it was the Springfield Police Department who had posted it on Facebook. And I was like, that's super cool. I mean, um, you know, my grandfather received what's called the First Citizen Award. So I don't know if that's something that the city of Springfield still does, but that's something that he hung proudly on his wall with all of his other, you know, accolades. He, you know, you can still Google and find his, uh, a story about when he passed away. Um years ago i mean it's been uh he passed away in 2009 but you can still read a story just about his love for springfield and how you know he always wanted to stay here he never wanted to move away he he loved this city and did everything he could to 
to make it a better place. And, you know, while he didn't, he did not uh, get to be mayor, he did lose to, to Mr. Lively. It's okay. They remained yeah. good friends for years. So it's just, yeah, I feel like that's a testament to the people of Springfield, the spirit in this city. Um, you know, while I said to someone, cause they're like, how does it feel to be home? And I'm like, it's, it doesn't feel the same without dad here, but there's like this weird sort of like comfort. I mean, as cliche as it sounds, and you can totally see the Wizard of Oz plates that are hanging up right above my, <laughs> nice. there really is no place like home. And, no, Springfield uh, is a great place, you know, and I'm yeah. going to find out. I've got friends in high places, so I'm going to find out. <laughs> I'm going to find out if there's still a first citizens award and I'm going to find out how the hell I'm going to win it. Yeah, uh, there but, you go. No, anyways, uh, I'm a, uh, there's a long list of people that I would be behind, but, uh, so, you know, uh, you talked about how it feels different being home without your father. How is your mother taking this? How is your mother dealing with, with everything? I know that she still has her health issues, but without, with also losing her best friend, you know, I mean, 42 years, uh, you know, they, they did everything together they rarely spent a night apart I don't know if they ever spent a night apart I'm trying now that I'm trying to think about it you know they were finally at the point where they were enjoying things they were you know taking the motor home out and going to the coast whenever they could and it's been hard on her but it's um I mean it's just a double whammy because she's trying to recover from an illness and how do you do that and so I I'm cherishing the time that I have with her right now, because quite honestly, if we weren't, well, if we weren't in a pandemic, all of this wouldn't have happened. But if we weren't in a pandemic, I also wouldn't be able to be here with her. And um, I will be here indefinitely because I'm fortunate enough to be able to work remotely. And we made the difficult decision to not have my husband travel out here because we don't, we just can't risk anyone else getting sick. It, this disease is like roulette. You don't know how it's going to affect you. The jury's still out on if it's genetics, blood type. Both of my parents got hit so hard, so I don't even want to know what it could do to me. Um, yeah. So, you know, mom is, mom is doing the best that she can. And, you know, us three kids are, are doing what we can to help her get through it. It's also just weird to not be able to hug my brothers and my nephew. And, uh, but I, you know, it's, I'm, I'm mom's household now. So I'm able to, to be here with her all the time. And, you know, there was grief comes in waves, like everybody says, and it, sure. it, it, I try to be as strong as I can for her. But like the other day I start, I, I like looked at something in the house and just lost it. She's like, stop crying in front of me. It makes me upset. And I'm like, okay, I'm sorry. <laughs> so, yeah. And it's not, I mean, and it's not always bad. I mean, there's, you know, the feeling of, of, like you said, grief comes in waves, but it sometimes the crying is of joy. You know, I think that's yeah. that, that I would have never expected before I lost my mom because I'd lost, you know, my grandparents had passed, but until my, my mom passed. And then when my mom's mom passed, that was the most devastating for me because that was all of my grandparents were gone. And then yeah. all four, and then, uh, you know, my mom, and then I, I'm still very blessed. I mean, I still have my father and my stepmother and my father and my relationship improves constantly, you know, every, yeah. you know, this, the show is not about me, but I th we're friends. I think you're interested. Yeah, no, so, this is, no, yeah. I know my audience gets on me. They're like, it's not about you. And I'm like, well then don't listen. But, uh, so, so, uh, it, yeah, it I mean, it's about true. you. It's just true. There I know, I know those moments of joy and it's something that I never would have expected. And I'm sure that you're already experiencing that when you see something yeah. that brings you joy and pride in the memories that you share with that person. You know, and it's so weird because I'm sure there's this numbing feeling too that you 
don't like you still want to be able to call them or right now you'd walk in the other room and that's a yeah. very em- empty unexplainable feeling but the bonds that you shared i'm sure is gonna is gonna pay dividends at this point because now you can sen- have a sense of pride push your chest out and say like i'm lucky that i got to have him as my father you know and then i get to live his legacy sometimes you take it feels like you take on that power you know it's like yeah. a like a superhero move and so yeah. and I don't know. we're trying to, you know, we're trying to do the best we can to say, you know, we're lucky to 65 is young, but, but still we're lucky to have him as long as we did. And, you know, we're, my brothers and I talk all the time about like, I'm not sure what's worse watching someone die for 47 days or watching someone have a debilitating disease that takes them years to pass sure. away from. It's like, and there's no good. No, there's no situation better. at all. No. no. I mean, you can find silver linings in any of it. It's all perspective. That's the thing. Cause yeah. you could say it like I was grateful that I had 12 more years with them, even though they struggled. It's all, it's all how you, it's all perspective. Cause you have to accept, yeah. you know, whatever, whatever's been dealt. Yeah. But Stephanie, you know, I really appreciate what you're doing, uh, you know, what is something that you have found has been able to push you through this? I know that when you're dealing with this type of situation, even before his passing and dealing with your mom and your dad, both being in the hospital across the country, what is something just, is it just staying busy that has kept your focus that, you know, just having things on your mind and things, why you've been able to keep composure for the most part? I think that's a big part of it. I have my dad and my dad, instilled in us really early on the importance of hard work, dedication, giving, you know, putting a hundred percent into something, always leaving a place better than you found it. So keeping myself busy has definitely been getting me through, but the, and people say this all the time, the amount of support that we've received from people, just, you know, people who didn't even know my dad, just people who, who know me or my brothers or my mom, um, just people across the world, even just, you know, and, and like you said, my, my, I've made my story very public on social media and just strangers have reached out and, um, you know, and I, and I, uh, I'm doing the same thing. It's kind of like a pay it forward. I, um, found a story of a woman who went through a similar thing. Her father just passed away from COVID, I think a week ago. And I reached out to her and I just sent her some words of encouragement and a poem that had brought me some comfort when my dad passed away. And it's a poem that, you know, has been passed around uh, for years amongst my friends because we've had some friends pass away over the years, very young. And and that's, you know, that's never easy as well. But, um, but the amount of support that we received from people in the community as well has just been, it's overwhelming. And, and literally hundreds of people, hundreds of hospital workers helped both of my parents. Hundreds. I, kept a journal. I, I forgot to tell you this. I have kept a journal and I have it sitting here right in front of me. And it is filled with uh, not only just my dad's vitals every single day and notes on what treatments he was having, but I have a page dedicated, like two pages dedicated to each hospital. And every time I spoke with a person, I wrote their name down and it's over a hundred people that I spoke with, but there are even more people who were just doing things for them that you just don't even think about. And just, this is just all about the people. I mean, and um, it's been a tremendous coming together. Yeah. It's been a tremendous year of sacrifice. You know, a lot of, I mean, I know I, you know, we're here because we want people to just understand what this looks like that, that you said, it's like you said, it's roulette. And, you know, I've been hearing a lot lately about people 
basically just saying, you know, just kind of getting lax on everything. And I would, I would imagine yeah. that, that with someone like yourself, when you've experienced what you have, then you are probably scared to death of this and can't wait to get that vaccine in your arm, you know, and, and your mom has had the first shot. Is that correct? She did. We got her the shot a couple of days ago. And uh, so she's having the flu-like side effects that go with sure, it. But she definitely. has said, you know, she's she's been through everything. Uh, she's like, I've had a pick line in my neck. And I'm like, so this is nothing, right, Ma? She's like, this is way better than having COVID. Yeah, and it's not, I mean, we don't know. There's been a couple of reports of, of uh, people in Springfield, in, in Eugene area, Springfield, Eugene area, that have tested positive for COVID after getting the vaccine. So, yep. I mean, there's still a lot of, this is what happens with us COVID or, co- or coronavirus is that we don't know a lot about it. We're learning constantly. Okay. And so it's going to be a long road, you know, and, and I just tell everybody when you talk about, when you're talking about this, just, just to be compassionate, if you, if anyone cares, when you talk about this and you talk about the inconveniences, which there are many, you know, job loss and all that kind of stuff, just make sure that you throw in there the loss of life because, you know, the number is at 400 something, 480,000. And there's a lot of talk about how some stuff might be misdiagnosed. I'm not going to have that discussion today. It doesn't matter. What number What number does it take that makes it to where it's like, okay, that's enough. Like now right. it's crazy, you know, and everybody is dealing with a lot. And so everyone has their different stories. I've tried to really just be compassionate because as a barber, I talk to 20 people, you know, well, I guess right now because of COVID, it's like 12 a day. And everybody has a different input take and i've heard so many people talk about i lost my cousin i lost my grandma and some of them are under 40 you know and so it's just very serious but stephanie mclean atkinson uh jim and sandy mclean you know this episode is dedicated to the loving memory of jim jim mclean uh january 20th is, is when he passed and if you'd like to donate to the gofundme uh you can find it by googling Jim and Sandy McLean GoFundMe, but the easiest way it's going to be in the show notes. And so uh, talk a little bit about that. There's multiple ways that people can donate. They can also, and what the funds go to, you know, cause this medical bills are still going to mount the you know, people. I mean, I'm sure that you, it's not free when you get COVID. Yeah. And it's, you know, that's another thing is over the past couple of days, I've had a, no less than eight people send me the article about how FEMA is going to be reimbursing people for funerals. Right now, that is only for funerals through December of 2020. Dad passed away in January of 2021. So I'm hoping that they will extend the bill, that Congress will extend the bill, but there's no guarantee. Yeah. Um, we're continuing to get medical bills but we are not certain what things will will look like given the extraordinary circumstances that we went through to try to make sure that both of them had the best health care possible you know we were going my brother is going back and forth from portland um mom will have continued rehabilitation for quite some time i mean again they don't know what the lasting effects of this are so those funds will go to you know, whatever mom needs for her recovery. And, um, you know, my brothers and I have also thought about the idea of, of doing a scholarship in memory of dad, either, you know, we're still sort of working out the details if we want it to be something, um, golf related. He was very passionate about golf. So maybe a student who really wants to go into a career in golf or even trade school, just because dad was just a jack of all trades with everything, you know, vocational school. He was a handyman. So. Wow. That's um, awesome. That's awesome to hear. Cause this is exactly what I'm talking about. You know, living his legacy and giving back, you know, that's how you can make this a positive thing. And that's a testament of, 
of your family, you know, and, and it's an honor to have chatted with you today about this and, and you made it without shedding too many real tears. I think you fought <laughs> back. You can do that later. It's yeah. definitely, it's, it's, it's really, it's great to hear your focus, you know, and it's great to see your courage. Cause I know I can, I can only imagine what you're dealing with inside, you know, but you were very blessed to have the parents that you do and, and they raised you well and, and whatnot. So it's cool to catch up with you too. It's been a long time. Yeah. No kidding. I'm going to end this with a song. This is a song by a local guy and his experience is a little different. You know, he talks about uh, just the challenges of being in a bunker, which every one of us can relate to. And it's a, it's a pretty incredible song. It hits pretty hard. Ender one, who was my first ever guest, uh, you know, he's talking about one of the big things. He's a, he's a very open dad rapper and uh, you know, his son, just how, what do you tell a four-year-old, you know, that we can't go to the park, you know, and there's just so many difficult things about this. And I know one thing that as far as kids, I'm going to throw this out there, Stephanie, and you're going to hate it, but maybe it's time to give your mom a grandkid, you know, because then she can, <laughs> because that would, uh, the, the, I'm, I'm just doing that for her, you know, but no, we'll see after COVID, right? That'd be a, yeah. be a can't imagine a, a young parent right now having a baby during this time, everything on lockdown. And so thanks again for sharing your story. It's a, uh, it's an honor. So this is uh, the song tired by Ender one. What if you need a f- job but can't get one? Unless you felt that, then you don't know the way it feels to file for unemployment, get a fraction of the income, and still it doesn't pay your bills. And you got kids who just found out that school's canceled. Pandemic problems, here's a new handful, and you're the parent. It's your job to lead by example, because you're a superhero to them. No trick you can't pull, but inside you're cracking. Like a gift that's too big and it rips the wrapping And every day, some crazy new sh- keeps happening And even though you're laughing, you're not that good at acting And now we got a quarantine and kids wanna play now But depression's a b- and you just wanna lay down Instead you gotta try to explain why every playground isn't safe now We're covered in caution tape now And it's all from this thing that we'll forever remember COVID-19 So do you get the vaccine or go without one? Fear of judgment and fear of an unknown outcome. Like, oh, you want to hug your grandma? You better ask. Did you sanitize your hands? Is she wearing her mask? Keep six feet back or you'll be six feet in the grass. Would you say, don't worry about what I got in this glass? I'm I'm tired. I'm all right. I'm okay. I'm a liar. They say diamonds cook in the fire. Best when the pressure's on. So I'm trying to just hold on. But my hands are tired. And my stress can't get any higher Feels like I'm walking a wire now And I just look down on it Above that ground All alone Now pay attention I got no degrees, but at least I got a few skills I use for enjoyment to make a small income. But still, it doesn't pay my bills. And I got a kid who just found out his school's canceled. Pandemic problems, now I got a handful. And as a parent, it's my job to lead by example. Cause I'm a superhero to him, no trick dad can't pull. But inside I'm dying. Like a bird with broke wings that pretends he's flying I turn the rear view mirror so he won't see me crying But even when I'm smiling, I'm not that good at lying It's been months on this quarantine, daddy needs a break now My depression's a and I just wanna lay down Instead I gotta duck under yellow caution tape now Sneak into a playground just so he can play now And it's all from this thing that I just wanna forget 
COVID-19, wife's a nurse, so she got the vaccine. I went without one, fear of judgment and fear of an unknown outcome. I just wanna hug my mom without having to ask. Did you sanitize your hands? Are you wearing your mask? I've been sober for years, honestly about to relapse. What'd you say? Don't worry about what I got in this flask. I'm tired. I'm alright, I'm okay, I'm a liar. They say diamonds cook in the fire. Best when the pressure's on, so I'm trying to just hold on. But my hands are tired, and my stress can't get any higher. Feels like I'm walking a wire now, and I just look down on it above that ground all alone. My stress can't get any higher. Feels like I'm walking a wire now, and I just look down on it above that ground. But I'm not alone.